0: And the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. So glad to see you here today. I had a friend years ago that had two big dogs and uh, had an invisible fence around a very sizable front yard in fact he bought the house uh, to have the front yard uh, for his big dogs and so but one of the dogs just hated going outside uh, he would sit in the middle of the yard and just quiver and cower afraid of going in any, one step in any direction for fear that he might get zapped by the invisible fence Just totally afraid. The other dog, on the other hand, as soon as you open the door, bolted for the street, would hit the fence and just keep going, right? (laughs) Just just zap and just keep going. Two dogs, two very different ways of handling the fence, right? Uh, Neither one of them actually enjoyed the front yard that their master had provided for them. I thought about those dogs when I read our gospel passage today because Jesus and the Pharisees have uh, two very different ways of handling a different kind of fence. The fence that they're handling is the law about the Sabbath. Now, a law about the Sabbath might seem mundane to you or maybe even irrelevant, Uh, but these two two positions are representative. Uh, They illustrate and demonstrate two very different ways of approaching God, and life, and faith, and religion. In case you're wondering, the Sabbath is what they called the seventh day of the week. Uh, It was a day of rest, which was commanded by God in the Ten Commandments. Because God had created the world in six days, and on the seventh day... He rested. And we're not going to get into how, if it was six 24-hour periods or, or six epochs of millions of years, Right, that's, that's not relevant to the, to the uh, passage. But Jesus was always getting into trouble on the Sabbath. If you read throughout the Gospels, it seems like everything He does, He does on the Sabbath just to make the Pharisees upset. Because over the centuries, the Pharisees had created 39 supplemental categories of things that you could not do on the Sabbath. They wanted to make sure that you were resting. And so they gave lots and lots and lots and lots of rules about how you would rest. I, for one, could never rest. With all those rules, they would heighten my anxiety uh, to the hilt. But you can imagine these things started out as helpful suggestions of how you might honor God and keep the Sabbath holy. But over time, in the hearts and the minds of the Pharisees, and as they sort of cemented in the culture, uh, these suggestions became elevated to commandment status. And the Pharisees became the rules police. And so they they were happiest if you were cowering with your tail tucked in the middle of the yard not moving in any direction for fear of getting zapped, right? Now, I don't know if you noticed, but it looks like in our gospel passage that Jesus is breaking the law twice. Like he just sort of hits the Sabbath fence and just keeps going, right? I mean, he picks grain on the Sabbath and you weren't allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. And then he heals a guy's hand on the sabbath. And you weren't allowed to heal on the sabbath unless it was a medical emergency, but this guy wasn't. He could he could have waited until the next day. But then perhaps most annoyingly to the Pharisees, Jesus blows them off. These weasely rule police Pharisees blows them off and they are mad. They're mad. So, if Jesus is breaking one of the 10 commandments, that's a problem. I mean, it's a problem for the Pharisees, but it's also a problem for you and me. Because we could perhaps read this and take it as permission to just sort of willy-nilly, pragmatically interpret the rules of the Bible according to our own situation. Eh, we don't really feel like following them. Jesus doesn't look like He was following them. So we'll just do what feels right to us. We could, we could take it that way. That's not the way to take it. The, uh, the other problem is that if Jesus broke a law of God then he ceases to be a sinless Savior. And he can't be our Savior unless he was without sin. So, what in the world is going on in this gospel passage? Well, first we want to take a look at the Pharisees. And then we want to take a look at Jesus. And we're going to see where that leaves us in the yard of faith that our Master has given to us. So first, the Pharisees. Now, these were serious people. And i got to tell you, I doubt they were much fun to be around. They, they were righteous, to be sure, but they were righteous in the sense that they were meticulous about following the rules. But throughout the Gospels, we never read of a Pharisee who is showing joy or compassion or even Praise. I mean, there may have been, but they're not the ones who make the, make the Gospels. See, what we see in the Gospels is that these Pharisees assumed that they had a scorekeeping God. A God who cared more about dotted I's and crossed T's. A God who cared about the externals all being neat and tidy. No one out of line. Everyone doing what they're told. He would have been an angry God. Waiting to pounce on any rebel who dared to break rank. That's who the Pharisees believed God to be. And, and you know, perhaps we can understand why. I mean, in, in the Bible, there are a lot of rules, and especially in their part of the Bible. They, they didn't have the, they just had, it was just the Testament, right? It's just the Hebrew Scriptures. They wasn't old at that point. And so it would be natural to assume. Based on that, that if we just keep the rules, then God's going to be happy with us. This, friends, is the essence of religion, right? It's what Martin Luther called the fundamental position of the human heart. Religion. The assumption that if I do my part, then God will do His part. In every religion that you can find in the whole world, whether it is formal an official, officially a religion or not, everyone is like this in some way, with the exception of Christianity. If I say my prayers the right number of times, if I treat people the right way, if I vote the right way, if I have the respect of these people, then whatever God that I'm serving will be happy. Great Example of this in a movie called The Silver Linings Playbook. It's a great movie, not, not a kid's movie, but a great movie nonetheless. And Robert De Niro, not the main character, but he plays this superstitious gambling addict. He's obsessed with the Philadelphia Eagles. And when he watches the games on Sunday afternoons, everything has to be just so. The remote control is on a specific arm of a specific chair. There's a handkerchief that is folded in a specific way and placed, I think, on his left knee. And even who is in the room with him has to be just right. And if he does his part, which is to control his environment, then the eagles will be able to do their part, which is to win, so that he will get what he wants, which is to win the bet. That's his religion. He is controlling his environment to harness this greater power to get his own desired outcome. And when somebody messes up the environment outside of his control, he goes crazy. You see how that's like the religion of the Pharisees? They have to control the environment of other people's behavior in order to prove that they are worthy of their own desired outcome which in this case is God's favor. He will be pleased with them if they keep everyone in line. And when somebody comes along and messes it up, like Jesus, they go crazy. Because theirs is an efficient and loveless religion. I don't want to paint all of our Jewish friends like that by any means. I'm just referring to the Pharisees. But I wonder If we are honest, if we can relate to this idea, this sort of if-then idea of religion, maybe we assume if we go to church, at least more than our neighbor down the street, if we write a check, if we achieve a certain status, if we have order in our garage, if we are friendly most of the time, whatever it is that is important to us, then we will have proven ourselves worthy of getting what we want. Whether it's God's favor, or social affirmation, or money, or respect, or whatever it is. This is getting to what pastor and author Tim Keller calls the work beneath the work. The work beneath the work of controlling my environments to ensure my desired outcomes is called self-justification. Self-justification. I'm doing my good work, not because it's good and not because it honors God, but because I'm doing it because I feel like I have to prove myself to get what I want from God. And this, friends, is fundamentally the religion of the Pharisees. And it inevitably ends in anger and frustration. I know because that's my default as a Pharisee. I assure you. But let's take a look at Jesus, who has a just a completely different take on the law. I mean, if you think anybody would be religious, it would be the Son of God. But He has a completely different take on God than the Pharisees. And therefore, a completely different take on the law of God. See, so Jesus knows that God is not a scorekeeping God. He's not a moral accountant with a ledger up in the clouds angrily angrily scribbling away every time someone steps out of line. Jesus knows that the inherent nature of God is both firm justice and joyful, freeing love. And so the commandment to keep the Sabbath should be obeyed. But it is obeyed because it was intended for our good, our joy, our refreshment, and ultimately for our freedom. See, you and I, we weren't created to go 100 miles an hour every day. You need rest. Rest is a gift from a good and gracious God who loves you. In our culture, not resting is like a badge of honor. If you ask somebody how they're doing four out of five times, they don't say fine anymore. They say, oh, busy. I'm busy. How you doing? I'm busy. Like, it's a, it's a badge of honor. Busy is the new fine, right? Right? we bust through this Sabbath commandment and just keep on going. And I'm as guilty as anybody. Jesus is not challenging our need to rest. That's important. And He's not breaking the commandment. That's even more important. He is breaking the Pharisees out of their cowering fear of getting zapped and inviting them to enjoy the whole yard the Master has given them. Enjoy what God has given to you. Rest. Restore. I mean, Jesus is saying, if you need to eat on the Sabbath, eat. If you need to make someone well on the Sabbath, make them well. If you need to ride your bike or travel to go see friends, if you need to take your Sabbath on Wednesday instead of Saturday or Sunday, great! The Sabbath was made for you. For your good. For your rest. For your refreshment. That's why we gather together on Sundays, right? To give you spiritual refreshment. That's why I take Mondays off. So I can rest. Not sleep all day, but work out and spend time with my family or read. Because there's a lot more to rest than sleep. Hear this. If you take the time to rest so that you can do your work well the rest of the week to the glory of God... You are obeying God. You might be thinking, well, hold on, Joe. Hold on a a minute. I mean, I can see that the Pharisees and and Jesus had different views, but I'm actually happier if I get a little work done each day because, you know, it puts my mind at ease. I'm so stressed. I wake up in the middle of the night uh, thinking about work, and if I don't tend to it, I'm I'm even more stressed. And, And so I'm actually more rested if I don't rest. This is what Tim Keller would say about that. He says, most of us work and work trying to prove ourselves to convince God, to convince others, and to convince ourselves that we're good people. That we are worthy people. That work is never over unless we rest in the gospel. At the end of his great act of creation, the Lord said, it is finished. And he could rest. And on the cross, at the end of His great act of redemption, Jesus said, it is finished. And we can rest. On the cross, Jesus was saying of the work beneath your work, the thing that makes you truly weary, this need to prove yourself because who you are and what you do are never good enough, that all that is finished. Because Jesus lived the life that you should have lived and He died the death that you should have died. And if you rely on Jesus' finished work, you know that God is satisfied with you. You can be satisfied with life. In other words, friends, the Gospel is rest. And if you believe the Gospel and apply it to your life, to your identity, then you can Rest. Jesus took the zap so that you don't have to. And so now Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. He is our peace. When he says the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, he doesn't mean he's the new sheriff in town. He means he is the Sabbath, he is our justification. He paid the price for you and me on the cross. So now He is our rest. And when we realize that, we can trust the heart of the Master. And it's something to scream about. Honestly. (laughs) That we can trust the heart of the Master. That God the Father We don't need to tuck our tails and cower in fear to worry about what He thinks. We know what He thinks. He loves us. He gave us His own Son to be our Savior. It is finished, and we can rest in Him. The Pharisees, see, they couldn't rest. They couldn't be free. They got the rules right, but they weren't free. The rules were a prison because they didn't trust the heart of the Father. But Jesus found freedom within the rules because He trusted the heart of the Father. That's the crux of the passage. That's the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. Do you trust the heart of the Father? We are far more free living the life that He created for us and trusting His heart. And if we go our own way and just run on down the street, or if we... And we're far more free living the life He made for us than if we cower in the yard at the threat of breaking a rule. When Jesus is our Sabbath, we are free to enjoy our loving Master, to know that everything that He has given us is for our good, even the boundaries. So, friends, do you trust the heart of the Master? He is worthy of your trust. Amen. Amen.